BIC Podcast, episode 60. And on this episode, we follow up the end. The Super Bowl is now over. The football season is now over. We're headed into the stove stove league. Hot stove league is baseball, but it's still the football equivalent of the hot stove league. We're headed towards the draft. We're headed towards the offseason. Teams are already starting to retool. Uh, excuses are being made. And then hope springs eternal, as it always does. But as part of this, we'll uh, give a little recap, a close off of the Super Bowl. We'll also have uh, Eric explain himself how he managed to somehow jinx a team by picking them picking them in sincerely which in effect jinx them in the same way that he jinxes other teams it's very complicated very convoluted that and more on this episode of the bsc podcast yes the eyes of brett favre Watch upon us once again, as I said. This is episode 60, uh, Eric. So honestly, in the spirit of that and uh, in the spirit of you appreciating the like button, as you often do, uh, I was able to. And Brandon, I spared no expense. So since it is a milestone episode, um, uh, here's what we've got. Holy crap. And that's it. That's all we got. We, we got yeah. a party horn. That's Did either of you notice? Um, I, I was the, just noticing. We had a party the, horn. The guitar <laughs> riff part. Party horn. Um, what was that? On the guitar riff part, uh, mm-hmm. my facial hair has grown a lot since then, and so has Eric's. And mm-hmm. Carlos has a little bit of shadow in, in this episode, but for the most part, he's the only one whose facial features and everything are still the same. The, the funny thing is you're talking about shadows. It's like I literally shaved like this morning. <laughs> so like so, so like me too. I, couldn't be more recent but um but yes i do try to i do try to maintain a certain consistency look we, we were talking a little bit earlier about a discussion that we had on the discord where brandon was uh, invoking the high school days and i and i grabbed and i grabbed some images but even back then i had a flowing mane even even back in my in my youths and we, we tried to get some images from eric unfortunately they were very crude cave drawings so I, I don't think it was quite, you know, lifelike visage. It was a little tough to make out. It was, it was kind of tricky. How much did that commercial cost, Eric? I don't want to talk about that commercial. The mayonnaise commercial? I'm not talking about I was that. talking the Dunkin' commercial. Well, listen, if, if we had been talking about the mayonnaise commercial, Eric, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I spared no expense for episode 60. That's all I got. Y'all didn't know I had a party horn. Sound effect. <laughs> yeah, the Duncan commercial was that was my favorite one. I thought, you know, because you know, commercials are a big deal in uh during Super Bowl Sunday, and I thought that was the one that entertained me the most. I mean, you had you had J Lo, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and Tom Brady all in the same commercial, and uh you know, it was it was it was entertaining. It was funny. Mm. Mm. Indeed. So let's uh let's quickly talk about this. And uh, also, I did mention it off the top of the intro, but I will add this as well. We, you know, uh, thank everybody for the feedback on the last episode. A lot of people enjoyed the player collector discussion because obviously, as player collectors, we do have a lot of things to say on that, and we'll revisit the conversation on that and talk about some other angles about it later on. But I think what we'll do a little bit today is we'll do kind of our, like I said, our Super Bowl recap. But then also uh, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, new Opeachy that uh, came out in hockey and Connor Bedard, the Connor Bedard chase, but specifically from the angle of kind of how something like that, the chase of a specific player uh, pushes up the already expensive cost of boxes. 
in this case, we're not seeing too much craziness on the boxes, but we are seeing some good secondary market, which I think is going to drive some demand on the boxes. So we'll have to we'll have to see. I can say that um, AMG Collectibles, you know, friend of the channel and sponsor of the channel, amgcollectibles.ca and the AMG Collectibles YouTube channel. I can tell you that they did to in order to make sure that there wasn't an issue, since there aren't a lot of products that have Connor Bedard in them. I will say that they did have to put a limitation on the number of boxes because they did have some folks that reached out and said, Hey, can we buy like a case? And, they, and they're like, look, let, let, let's give people a chance first. Let's give them a crack at it. You know, they limited the amount of boxes to start off with just to give different folks a chance, just so that a couple of people couldn't just hoard all the boxes. But then obviously if, um, if there's still boxes left over and they've got decent allocation, they will certainly entertain greater volumes because at the end of the day, the goal is to sell the product. But uh, at least at the beginning, give people a shot because if a bunch of people are chasing there and trying to offer to buy cases, uh, you'd run out of the stuff pretty quick. And then all of a sudden the price would go up. And I think that's what's going to happen in a couple of uh, places. The price I still think is pretty reasonable. But like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about that here uh, after we get a little bit of the Super Bowl background. So I will say that on the uh, YouTube channel, I had a post-game show uh, where Eric and I were able to have a, some conversations about it. And then also we had a little bit of fun on the Big Scott 35 channel where we did a little bit of a watch along towards the basically the second half because um you know it kind of went a little long and then the halftime went a little long and things were kind of dragging out and then we actually got the second ever overtime in the super bowl um so i will say the first half of the game really kind of slow very plodding uh what it really came down to for me was san francisco played well uh the Purdy party was doing well good enough uh he was having some moments but um i think it was really indicative and it was something we talked about as the second half came up. I felt like only being up by seven at the half was not a good sign when San Francisco was very much playing well and they seemed to be in control. Uh, Kansas city was struggling and they were only down by seven. And in that situation, it's like, I don't think Kansas city was really worried uh, being down one score and still being within striking distance. All I, I think I mentioned a couple of times on big Scott's live, all it would have taken is San Francisco slipping on a banana peel once. And all of a sudden it's a tie game. Like it would have taken one missed tackle, one little thing. In the end, they hung around, hung around, hung around. The second half, suddenly things picked up. You know, business picked up. It became a lot more interesting, a lot more exciting. So I think that's uh, going to be exciting. Uh, and we'll have to see how that works out. But uh, that was my initial impression. So I'd like to get some thoughts from you guys about what you saw. First of all, I'll say it was a good game. Uh, it was good to see that it was close and not a blowout or whatever. Um, I agree. The The game had some chances and opportunities, I guess you could say, for San Francisco. But it's kind of what I said in the Discord earlier today. The whole thing for me that kind of took the, the excitement or the edge away from the game was it just felt like you knew what was going to happen. Like, it, it felt predictable. And... I even kind of like threw a joke out when the extra point was blocked. I was like, ah, maybe the TV station had extra commercials that were already paid for. Insinuating at that point, you might as well look out for overtime because that game, it, it just had that vibe, that feeling to it. That was going to make it to where Kansas City had striking distance, make it easy to kick the field goal, go to overtime, whatever. Um, I was confused going into the overtime because... And maybe it was to give the defense a breather. I don't know. But in that overtime scenario, you never want the ball first. You want to see what you have to do, not, 
like that that was just the weirdest thing you win the coin toss and defer that that or actually take the ball i guess um that just was confusing um so that that part i think you know who knows maybe kansas city went down and scored anyway and then san francisco didn't you know get this touchdown who knows but um i don't know purdy overall the kid it didn't seem like the game was too big for him you know i, I have to give him credit that he he stands in the pocket he's got a a sharp accurate pass um the game wasn't too big right from the get-go i mean it came right out and unfortunately McCaffrey fumbled you know there early but like they were moving the ball it, it looked the defense was hyped up um yeah I mean it, it was a good game congrats to Mahomes um I will say a few points to Mahomes though with with you know people praise him a lot um mm. if you look at his Super Bowl stats they're not as glorious as you would expect I think he's got like seven touchdowns in Super Bowls versus five interceptions or something like that um and Harrison Butker was kind of the MVP of the Chiefs there but he's not going to get any praise I think the Chiefs had like 90 some points scored throughout the playoffs and 40 some of them were Butker so you know that almost 50 percent of the points total that the Chiefs had was was off the foot of the kicker so mm -hmm. Now, one thing I'll add, and this is something I was getting a little bit of wind of in the post game. So we, we obviously have the game, we have the moment and things that are going on. And we'll, we'll touch on a couple of things because I had a little bit of fun, obviously, in the in the live and the post game and everything. But one of the things that I, I, I caught wind of after the fact is it sounded like some of the uh, San Francisco players didn't actually understand the overtime rule. And they may have thought it was the old overtime rule where you wanted the ball so you could score and try to win. The new rule is that even if you had scored a touchdown, you still had a chance to, to the other team would still have an opportunity to respond. So it was different. It did change from That's... the previous. It, so and th mm. that is the, the word I have heard is that some of the players on San Francisco may not have completely understood the rule, which actually speaks very badly to the coaching staff. If that is true and you did not have your players prepared going into an overtime because you get a moment when when regulation ends. You have a moment. It's not, you don't get like 10 minutes to prepare, but you do have a couple of minutes on the sideline to be like, all right, so overtime, you know, we're starting again. Here's what you need to know. If you win the coin toss, do this. This is the plan. Yeah. And then you explain the plan. All you got to do is like, literally as the coach, all you got to do is tell the player that's going out there, hey, you win the coin toss, this is what we want you to do. Say this. This is the answer to the question and, and go. And we go. And then you have a plan for what happens if you win the coin toss or if you lose the coin toss or whatever. You, you have a strategy in place. From what I understand, it may, may have been either a lack of preparation or a loss in the moment. And, just, and again, I'll, I'll take it with a grain of salt. But if there's any truth to that, th this is the same coach that was there in 28 to 3. And it's like it's, sometimes in a high leverage moment, people lose their mind. And it's not that he's not a, it's not that he's not a smart coach. Because he is. You have to be a smart coach to get into these positions. But at the same time, it's like the old Andy Reid situation. Andy Reid would be in these weird high leverage situations and all of a sudden make an inexplicable, bizarre decision. It feels like in the years now, since, he, since he's been in Kansas City, he's kind of figured it out. He's figured out either how to delegate or how to position himself in a way where he's he's making solid, solid decisions and not beating himself. Because that felt like was one of the traits of the old Andy Reid. And the new Andy Reid is a little bit 
more Belichickian, where he he will allow the other guy to beat himself. He, he will kind of stay fairly steady, even though in the first half, one criticism I had, and this is something I discussed in real time, I felt like the uh, Kansas City offense was very vanilla. Having had a lot of time, to you, you get an extra week to prepare. And he's an offensive mind. He's an offensive genius. Even if you don't have all the personnel, even you could probably come up with some weird quirks or some twists. Everything felt very vanilla, very straightforward in the first half. In the second half, I think they got a little cuter, and they finally like, all right, Mahomes run. They had a few designed runs for him. so And that helped, and it actually worked very well. So they adjusted. I will say they adjusted very well. And, hey, Andy Reid Andy Reed now has a third Super Bowl ring. Good for him. Mahomes has a third Super Bowl ring. Good for him. But San Francisco, there are a lot of teams this playoff that are going to kick themselves. But San Francisco was literally in the game. So nobody can kick themselves more than San Francisco because they're literally right there with the opportunity and with the lead at the half and every chance. And they, San Francisco kind of did the opposite of what they did to get there because, and, and I don't mean in terms like we were discussing them running the ball and all of that sort of stuff, but mm-hmm. they had to come back in the games leading up to the Super Bowl. And they managed enough to to come back and have the moments to take the lead and win the game. And they kind of did the opposite here mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl where they had the lead and allowed Kansas City to take it to overtime and then thus, therefore, win the game. But something I noticed, and the reason I kind of mentioned the Butker thing was mm-hmm. I, I don't pay a lot. Of, like, I don't watch every Chiefs game. But I noticed it, obviously, when I watched the Ravens game. Mm-hmm. And then I was noticing it last night with the 49ers. Mm-hmm. You hear these announcers and you see Mahomes when he's playing and what he is good at. And I have not figured out why these defensive coordinators are setting up with these, these defensive schemes, giving 10 to 15 yards with a wide open middle of the field rushing you know three to four guys thinking that that's going to be enough to put pressure on him and like he's going to pick you apart with that much depth and openness on the field hit you know kelsey you know he's too smart mahomes is too smart the andy reed is too smart you cannot give them that much and play such safe defense to just let them, you know, Butker can kick 60. Like, it doesn't take much. When when you start at the 25-yard line with that new touchback rule and you have a guy that you're given 10 to 15 yards open field, he can chunk you to death to get into field goal range. You're not going to stop him from at least getting into field goal range. And I just don't understand the, the defensive coordinators, like, knowing that's going to happen. And still doing it. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Pressuring, yep. at least. to Get beat on the blitz. Yep. So, Eric, I'll bring you into this conversation here a little bit. But uh, one of the things, and this will be one of the rare moments that I give New England praise. So, so mark it down. This is, this is your moment. Um, I touched on the idea that Andy Reid, as he's gotten older, as he's gotten wiser as a coach, it feels like he's tur- he turned a corner some years back and he suddenly started learning from some of those mistakes. Because he was always a brilliant offensive mind. You don't get to as many NFC championships as his Philadelphia Eagles did without knowing something about how to build a good offensive team and being able to structure it well. But they always beat themselves. They always did something that would cost them or miss an opportunity or a a clock management issue. There was always these little kinks in his armor that he had, these holes in his game, so to speak. 
but there were certain things he could do phenomenally well. It was uh, it was something interesting about his coaching style. The the analogy I used earlier, obviously now we're looking at them now three Super Bowls out of four, and then getting all those AFC championships, and everybody pulls out the New England comparison. But the reason that's the reason I brought up though that the whole Belichick Brady thing was that for many years it wasn't that they would play exceptional all the time, especially in Super Bowls. Because if you go back and look, a lot of them were one-score games. Well, how do you win a one-score game? There's two things. A little bit of luck. That always has to play into it. You need a you need a few lucky breaks. But the key, though, is don't beat yourself. Don't do the dumb thing. If you hang in there and you avoid doing the dumb thing, bad penalties, uh, poor inexplicable decisions at weird random times, uh, bad clock management, all these little things, but if you let the other team do it, and especially as you went further and further along, as you started winning championships, the other team would feel this pressure to try to respond to you. And if all you did was kind of stay the course, there were some years that all the New England did was not beat themselves and just hang in there, hang in there, hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. And then, all right, we got the ball last. We're, we're, we feel like we're in good shape. That's what we wanted. We wanted the ball last, and now we feel good. But what happened in this game? Kansas City got the ball last and, and they actually drove, like, had a sustained drive. Like, it actually took – that's why the, the post game was so much later because it's like, yeah, they were in overtime, but they literally drove it right to the end of the first overtime period. Now, to be fair, if uh, – see, your opportunity. Well. Thank you. But the, but the <laughs> idea was uh, if the clock rolls over, they still get to keep going. Like, it's you know, we roll it into another quarter, you know, so to speak. But the reality was they felt like they were in no hurry, which is the right mentality to take. All right, you guys scored. We have the ball. We have the opportunity to, at the bare minimum, score the field goal and tie, and the game continues. Or we've got the opportunity to try to score the touchdown and win. So you just drive methodically, slowly down the field, to, to Brandon's point, thinking and dunking slowly. Brady used to do this for years. It was like these dink and dunks and use the tight end. and do. If it sounds familiar, Jim. it's because it is. It's like Andy Reid literally read. He, he found the Bill Belichick playbook somewhere, and he goes, this is what we're going to do. We're going to dig and dunk. We're going to slowly, methodically drive it down the field because we know if we score the touchdown, we win. We already know. Like, that's all we got to do. Worst case scenario, we kick the field goal and San Francisco gets another crack at it. And then it's our job. The defense had done a really good job. So, so stop me if it sounds familiar. It was the defense that did a lot of the heavy lifting in this game. But in the end, they did enough. And when they got the ball last, scored the touchdown. So, Eric. Well, I, I think you're right. I remember years ago, and I think Andy Reid was the coach of the Eagles at the time, that they weren't in – I think it was a regular – it may have been a regular season game, and um, they went into overtime. And afterward, they ended up losing. And after the game, Donovan McNabb said he had no idea what the rules for overtime were. Because they had video of Donovan McNabb putting his helmet back on, going like, all right, guys, let's go. And it's everyone else is heading for the locker room, you know? So when you when I think Andy Reid was there at the time. So you learn from those mistakes. So here we are, you know, all these years in the future, and Andy Reid has become one of the, you know, the best coaches of his generation. And he's learned from that. And he's watched Bill and, you know, and yeah, like Bill was known for saying, we are going to 
coach these guys in every single aspect of the game. And the former players will tell you that they were out there practicing the most ridiculous scenarios, scenarios that they had not seen in their careers. But in the rarest of occasions, something would come up in a game and the Patriots players would be like, oh, yeah, we covered that. This isn't the first time we've seen this. So I think someone like Andy Reid watched Bill, watched his success, learned from past mistakes in Philadelphia, uh, that one that I mentioned as an example, and has and has made sure that his players are always prepared for the next scenario in a football game. And that is what a winning team is all about. And that is what a winning coach is all about. Now, with that said, I also, when you go looking at San Francisco, I can't believe, it, it dumbfounds me that a professional athlete doesn't know the rules of their own sport. Now, I know that in football, there are these little teeny tiny micro rules, you know, um, you know, for example, for perfect example, the tuck rule, you know, that came into a, you know, that no one had heard about. That's come out before. Yeah. Right. Before Tom Brady. So, but so there's these little teeny tiny micro rules in football um, that, yeah, I can understand where, where maybe not everybody knows those. Every single player in the NFL should know the rules of their game and know their overtime rules. Um, well, I just I don't understand that. That shouldn't be coached. Um, you should know the rules of your game. But let's let's look at this scenario though, real quick, because I think where the question comes about with knowing the rules for the particular overtime, because. Correct me if I'm wrong, this was a new overtime format for the Super Bowl. Like, they had adjusted a little bit of it, right? With with the whole, you know, both team gets the chance of the ball or whatever. And let's say the player did know the rules. Let's say the guy that went out there for the coin toss did know them. But normally it's the coach's decision and say yeah. on what they – call that's you know different. Yeah, that's different yeah it is yeah, the coach's, so it that is the coach's job is to tell them this is what i want right you can right. you can literally so, the point is you can give them a quick reminder in this situation they don't need to know all the rules of overtime it actually doesn't matter the only thing they needed to understand was in this moment we're doing a coin toss this is this is not overly complex right. i'm asking you to go out there yeah. you know pick no, whatever you win the coin toss this is what i want you to do that's it. You just tell them basic instruction. I just need you to do this for us. And, and that's, that's why I said he's he's talking about the players knowing the rule. In that scenario, I don't think it mattered if the player knew the rule because if the coach yeah. said, we want the ball, that's on the coach. Oh, like, that is the coach. That's fine. Problem. If he, if he says that and they follow, that's fine. Players, come, players have come out in the last 24 hours from San Francisco saying uh, we had no idea what the, what the playoff overtime rules were and i don't understand how you cannot know the rules of the game that you play well let me ask a question because this is and i'm real curious on this because 
the NFL keeps adjusting these overtime rules because they said they didn't want games to be decided. They wanted them fair in overtime and not decided by a coin toss. And I really feel like in the biggest game and how this overtime rule is different, it does give the edge to the coin toss. Because even the announcer said it in this scenario, having the ball, you know, second or whatever, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about fourth down because you know you're going for it. Like if you're not in field goal range, you're going for it. Like sure. and me- mentally, that takes away some of that pressure, you know, like on third down because you know, hey, if I need to throw the ball away, like saying Mahomes had to throw the ball away, he knew he had another down. So right. I think this scenario of overtime rules actually puts the coin toss back into play and the 49ers just made the wrong choice on the coin toss and kind of screwed themselves. I think to an element though, because the thing is under the quote unquote old rules, if you won the coin toss, you take the ball, you score the touchdown, the game ends. Winning the coin toss is still beneficial under the old rules as well. It, it was just the, the answer you give is different. It actually makes more sense for you to to defer because then you get to figure out how to counterpunch with the new rule. And the old rule was we win the coin toss, we take the ball, we score, and this game's over. But that's my point. Like, they were doing these adjustments to take, like, take the coin toss, the importance of the coin toss, because they didn't want the outcome to be as, like, evident by the result of the coin toss they wanted it to be more equal playing and i still think this gives an advantage to the coin toss now obviously san francisco didn't take what would have been that advantage because they you know they wanted the ball first what about if you if you just like don't even have the coin toss and because what the college like it doesn't matter you kind of like set up at the 25 or whatever and you just Go at it from there. Look, that would be very funny. Listen, as someone who lost the over by one point, I would have loved college rules. College rules would have been great, Eric. College rules would have been amazing. (laughs) Amazing. I think they're fair for overtime, though. I mean, really, because (laughs) you then have an equal, you know, you know what you got to do. All of a sudden, we get a Boise State finish. If y'all look up the old that boy, there was one Boise State game like was it 10, seven overtime, fifteen years ago. It was stupid. It was ridiculous. It was hilarious. I I watched it. It was the damnedest thing I've watched. Um, I actually have a quote uh, from from Yahoo Sports here uh, that I will read to you. A little piece of the article. I'll actually include a piece of this. I'll actually include the article in the description for you if you want to check it out. So uh, he, the article here says, even though the new rules have been around for two seasons, some 49ers players were still living in 2021. After their 25-22 loss, several told Lindsey Jones of the Ringer that they didn't know there were new overtime rules specifically for the playoffs. So this is what we were referencing a little earlier. Uh, Specifically, it says, multiple San Francisco players said after the game that they were not aware that the overtime rules are different in the playoffs than they are in the regular season. And strategy discussions over how to handle the overtime period did not occur as a team. Yeah, that's on the coach. That, that's yeah, no, that's, that, that, that's what I was that's what I was alluding to yeah. earlier. So, so like I said, I'll include a link in the description here if you want to check out or read the article yourself. But that's what I was inferring. He's, that's what he's, I was referring to. In what you just read, there's responsibilities of the coach. Mm-hmm. It, in what it, it, part of what you read, there's responsibilities of the coach, and in my opinion, there's another part of what you read, which is the responsibility of the players. 
Strategy uh, is on the coach. You need – this is the game that pays you millions of dollars. This is what you do for a living. You need to know the ins and outs and rules of your sport. And don't – and understand that the, the football union is in part – takes part in all of those rule changes and, you know, and make sure that their um, their players are informed of the rule changes. And, you know, these guys just aren't doing their homework. And that's yeah. well, and let's that's, be, I understand your point, Eric, but realistically, most of those players don't read any of any of that crap. They don't read any of the memos, they don't care. This they're, is they're, they're, they're like is wrong. They're like, coach, tell me what I need to know because they're literally going into training camp. Because I'll I'll give you a counter to the other side of the coin here, because this is the same article. Shanahan knew the strategy, but it hadn't filtered down to all the players. The Chiefs, on the other hand, so on the contrasting, have been running Super Bowl overtime drills since training camp and spent significant time over the last few weeks discussing the strategy. So the Chiefs specifically went out of their way, going back to the analogy that we just used yes. with Andy Reid. Now we're talking coaches, coaching yeah. issues. It, yep. it, specifically, Andy Reid didn't even take that chance. He said, I don't care if you know the rules or not. I'm going to make sure you know the rules, and I'm going to make sure you know what the strategy is if we find ourselves in this situation. And they were training for it in training camp, specifically right from the get-go. They're like, y'all are going to know this because and we're like going to do it. Belichickian. That is smart. Uh, it's the it's the right it's the right move it's the right play because then there's no question right. they the the chief players didn't need to be told what the strategy was they knew what the strategy was because it had been discussed many times for months shanahan got out coached and that's you know that's why andy Reid is well, in the position that he's in in fairness uh the chiefs didn't have to like make any important decisions except score either three or seven because they mm -hmm. lost the toss, the ball, like, like yeah. the whole scenario was set up for them. They just knew what they had to go out back on the field and do. I, I don't, th I don't think the Chiefs were complaining though. I'm sure Andy Reid yeah. was thrilled when they when they made that decision. They're like, oh well, they just made our lives he was easier. Totally confused. This, this is great. He was totally confused. Wait, you're you're taking the ball? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was like, we accept your tribute. Where was this on the road? I didn't have this on my bingo card. <laughs> yeah. But, but it goes back to what it goes back to the theme of what I said a little bit earlier on, though. Really, my feeling was that they were in the stage that point. They had not played a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination. Neither at San Francisco. Both teams had made mistakes throughout the course of the game. But it felt like as we got into the later stages of it, Kansas City made less mistakes. They they clamped down on mistakes. They they steadily they became a lot steadier and just kind of stayed the course and say, we'll just wait this out. As the game continued to go and you went into deeper and deeper and deeper water, San Francisco seemed unable to respond. They they ran out of gas at certain points because at a certain point they started getting three and outs. They just weren't moving the ball anymore. Like it was not it was not so. What happened is Kansas City's defense was doing a tremendous job for most of the game. They had done a great job. But then they got progressively seemingly stronger as the game went on. It became tougher and tougher and tougher for San Francisco to move the ball really the way they wanted to. And all of a sudden, all their advantages were gone. The field had completely tilted in Kansas City's favor, and they were getting closer. They got the lead, and then San Francisco hung in there. Kansas City tied it to go to overtime. And all of a sudden, at the very end, obviously, the big decision was critical because once the overtime came and you made that call, the rest of it played out the way it played out. More exciting, though. Uh, like, like I said, though, my only regret, my only regret is uh, one point. And, and Josh out there, he, he got, he got 46 and a half. How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> one point. That, of Brandon, that is the hashtag rig we're talking about. Like, 
It could have been like five points. No, no, one point. I needed 48 points. They scored 47. You mean, you mean the blocked extra point? Or? Well, the, 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 the point the point that was made during the stream, which is true, uh, if they had if they if the, if the point extra point had not been blocked, it wouldn't have gone overtime. It wouldn't have even been close. They wouldn't that, that would probably that, not that have been the, in play. Yeah, it wouldn't have been the opportunity. But it, it's actually a little more insulting. Like I it actually kind of hurts it hurts my feeling, you know, like Eric, it hurts my feeling. That <laughs> it's like, really? You mocked me by making it eight within a point. This is where you know, this is how uh, it to go down. The other amazing statistic of that game, and again, I'm going back to the kickers because they said, what was it? It was something like four. I, I can't remember the total number, but there it was like four, five, something like that. 50 plus field goals in the history of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And there was three last night. The, yeah. the, lo- uh, the longest Super Bowl field goal record had literally been broken. I think it was twice in the same game. Mm-hmm. And that like, you know, that... Big games like that, kickers, it's always talked about pressure, wide right, you know, uh, Vinatieri for um, uh, Patriots. And, you know, all of the big moments, those guys last night, like Butker, he he won't get the credit, but that man kind of carried the Chiefs too. So I'm not saying he won the games for them, but. You know, he he had a heck of a play. Look, I, I, I've seen I've seen I've seen kickers lose games, or, or cost teams yeah. opportunities for games. Again, oh yeah, I'm Green not, Bay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to revisit it right now, but uh, it's like I I have my issues. I have my issues with my kicker right now. You know, you know the meme. That's my quarterback. I'm not doing that with my kicker right now. I am not. I'm doing the opposite <laughs> well, of that. As as the owner of the uh, franchise, why don't you uh, get rid of him, trade him? I think. Listen, this is my. Like, Rogers got away with this longer than he should have. The kicker does not have this kind of catch. I think I might, I might have to put, throw, I throw him off the island myself. It's like you're going, you're going Viking funeral style, but Viking funeral it is. You're out of here, my young friend. We got to figure this one out. But uh, now, either way, I will say it was at least uh, I was pleased that it was a fun game, at, especially towards the tail end. It was a lot more entertaining, which is good. Uh, if you don't have a horse in the race, you're just looking for some entertainment value. And towards the tail end of that game, we got some. So that's good. Now, uh, quick final thoughts then as we wind down. Two things that obviously I, I talked about that uh, that I stuck to with me is um, we'll, we'll talk a little sports card angle here. Uh, obviously, it puts Mahomes in rarefied air for the current guys because it separates him from the, from the current group, the current crop. The Purdy Party is kind of ground to a screeching halt. That isn't to say he couldn't have some success down the road here, but obviously it changed the dynamic a little bit. But I, I do think from a narrative perspective, and, and some people may argue the opposite, I think from a narrative perspective, having right now somebody who is at least the guy currently, it gives other people somebody to target. It gives other people, it, it creates the possibility of a rivalry if one of these other guys can step up and be like a proper challenger to him. And I think that's interesting. I think it's a lot more interesting than just having one random here and there. Uh, doesn't mean the Chiefs have to win every year, but having somebody that's in contention every year and forcing the other teams to have to compete and step up to their level is not necessarily a bad thing. And just so I'm clear, Brock Purdy did play in the Super Bowl this year, right? He did, in fact, play in the Super Bowl this year, yes. According to the way the announcers kept like making it sound, you they were making me question whether or not you weren't right in your statement because I think I figured out what they were talking about. But the way they were... 
speaking it during the broadcast, I was like, why do they keep saying it like as if these two teams played last year in the Super Bowl? Because they kept throwing that out there. And I, was, I that's why I texted her. I was like, am I losing my mind or like, are they not saying Eric's kind of somewhat correct? Because yeah, and, and I and I stand by my statement that that's still possible that you're losing your mind, <laughs> but it could very well also be that they lost their mind by listening to Eric. So both it, things could possible. be true. Yeah. yeah, they're both things could be true. So you know, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B is I kind of my my theory. In a year from now, when I say Brock Purdy played in the Super Bowl last year, I want to be correct. Mm. So we'll see. All right. Yeah. So he yeah. was there. It happened and he was there this year. Okay. It did in fact happen this year. Now what's going to be good is when, is when we get to next year and he's like, so when Brock Purdy was in the Super Bowl two years ago, I'm like, oh, damn it, Eric. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Just skipped right over it. Just went right to the wrong answer. It's very possible that might happen. So don't be shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked at all. So we'll move on from that topic here, and I'm sure we'll figure out down the road. Uh, I look forward to the uh, to the correspondences, folks. Uh, figure out what to make out of the uh, football quarterback situation, especially heading into next year. So that'll be interesting. Because honestly, all it could take is if they figure out the wide receiver thing and upgrade that, that team could be relevant again next year. There's no reason. This, this version of it wasn't the best version they could have had. A couple of tweaks here and there, and they're right back in the mix again. Uh, by the way, as from, from what I understand, they are not the betting favorites to repeat next year in the Super Bowl. The San Francisco 49ers and the Purdy Party are actually the are actually the the favorites right now. I'm like, you do realize the Kansas City just beat them just like yesterday. Yeah. And are, and, are you and sure Kansas you want to go with San Francisco as the favorites? And Kansas City was not the favorite in in any of the games that they played in the playoffs. I think they nope. were they were picked to lose in every one of them. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, and I think the NFC is going to be very challenging next year. We'll, we'll talk more about it later, but as we get closer to it, but I, I think the NFC is going to be very interesting. We'll, we'll see how that one plays out. It might not be as simple as they're making it out to be, but we'll see. We'll see how that one plays out. So, real quick, I wanted to talk for a couple minutes on the other piece, and I know not everybody that watches is is a hockey person, but I think we can still use the topic as a general concept. So, I'm going to share with you uh, an Instagram post. Uh, First, I'll show the post. I'll, I'll explain what it is for the audio version, uh, folks, here. And then I'll, I'll kind of play it into the product that we were talking about with OPG Hockey here a little bit. And again, it's not so much about the hockey thing as much as it is about the concept. So this is uh, from Hockey Cards Gong Show. I will leave a link to this post in the description for you. And this was the first public sale of a Connor Bedard 23-24 OPG Marquee Rookie. So this is the purple parallel of it so it's numbered to 49 so it is a numbered parallel of it but for those not familiar with opichi premier uh that's in contrast to opichi platinum opichi platinum is your chromium many parallels kind of um it's their version of select or their version of prism whatever you want with all the different parallels and everything opichi is kind of a cardboard stock kind of old school set i think it's a 600 card base set if memory serves me so you're you, you know you've got a lot of cards in there but this is really the first opportunity for people who want to get a Connor Bedard regular base card. So you can get a base card. You can get parallels. There are some inserts in there. I think there are somewhere in the range of like 30 different potential Connor Bedard cards. So you've got a chance. But this one is the purple version, number 49. And it's sold for $1,189 USD. And that was confirmed with Terapeak. So, so they did verify that uh, the sale has at least been paid for. So... That's kind of interesting there. Now, one thing that I'll add here, 
uh, my buddy, Steve Angel, uh, so Quincy cards, if you can see it on the screen there, yeah, so uh, was he was actually that. expecting more. So he, the comment there he puts, honestly, less than I was expecting, but they're going to depreciate fast. The second half of it, I tend to agree with him. However, out of the block, that is still a very strong sale for a cardboard raw card, even out of 49. Obviously, the hype of Conor Bedard, even though he's been injured a little while, I think he's scheduled to come back pretty soon, I think. But nonetheless, the hype train was still pretty strong for him. And I think part of it is that there just haven't been that many products. But this is interesting because even though this is, um, you know, kind of a cardboard stock, not necessarily the fanciest rookie card he's going to have, just the fact that there aren't that many options helps this product a lot. And I will tell you that the box price right now is $129 Canadian. So for American dollars, you're probably going to wind up somewhere in the high 90s, maybe $100 US, give or take, is what your price range. So for a box price of like that, being able to pull an 1100 we, we talked about the whole thing with the cup and how expensive the box is. And even yeah. if you pull something nice, how far you are. Well, look, if you can buy a $100 US box and pull a $1,200 card, and it's not necessarily the best card that you can pull out of his, out of that out of the box, potentially. And you can probably pull a base card that still has some value and a couple of those things. That ain't half bad as a, as a value proposition. No, but it good. is very interesting because uh, one of the things we talked about in AMG Collectibles, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it, I think, in, in the episode that will air tomorrow. Well, today at the time that you're watching this, probably. But uh, what I'll say is that they had to limit the amount of boxes that they would sell people ahead of time because they wanted to give more people the opportunity because they felt there would be a lot of demand for it. And we'll get figures as, as things come in. Now that there's been a little bit of days of sales, we'll be able to get a sense of how that looks like. I'll say though, like, I don't know, this, this may be the first opportunity for the hockey guys to do a little bit of Conor Bedard chasing. And uh, we'll see if those box prices creep up as people get a little bit excited for the first opportunity to take a crack at it. To, to, to kind of touch on, and again, because we're, five percent more mature mm. i won't uh take this time to bash steve where i would definitely do so on friday mm. um, i totally agree with him about the depreciation fast part mm -hmm. an example would be when the draft day card came out and um you know ud1 and the initial you know pricings were over a thousand dollars we at the sh at our shop got one out of a box um shortly after i mean we, we were we got one in our hands pretty quickly and by the time the like the first few were sold for over a thousand we ended up selling ours for 500 like within a couple only a couple like a, you know a week mm -hmm. so we know that the big Bedard cards are coming. We know the Young Guns is coming. We know the Cup, um, you know, Bedard rookies are going to be going for just ridiculous money. If you can wait, these Bedard cards are going to be much cheaper than $1,200 in the near future. So, I, I'm actually I was browsing through because I was trying to see how they did the configuration of them, mm -hmm. and then how many, like how many parallels there was, and all of that. And this set is interesting because they kind of 
aligned it similarly to what they do, like a, a metal universe and stuff. And so you're, you were right on the 600 card set. Cards one mm -hmm. through 500 are going to be veterans. Mm -hmm. And then um, looks like 501 to 540 is all-stars and then 541 to 600 is rookies. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing on the high numbers, we'll call them, the, the 501 to the 600, it's one per pack. Mm -hmm. But... There's 18 packs per hobby box. So you're only going to get 18 of those 100 cards mm -hmm. in a hobby box. And that's base, you know, whatever. And then I was looking at the parallels and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that 1200 is cheap, but I, it's probably not a terrible price for what the Badar Mania is considering you have the purple border at 40 out of 49. And then the only things below that is a green rainbow out of 33. Everything else is a one-on-one. So it's, you know, third from the lowest serial numbered uh, parallel, which probably tough as hell to get. I mean, who knows what the actual odds would play out to be on that, but um, maybe that's why. The box prices are staying low because you're, you know, just the overall fact. Uh, let's say they split it up and you got nine of the all-star cards and nine rookies, you know, 50-50 out of the 18 packs. Well, you got 60 rookies there and you only get nine of them. Your odds of getting him is kind of slim. And then to get a parallel on top of it would be even harder. So maybe And they also, print, they also printed a fair bit. They, they honestly printed a fair bit of it. Like if we're being realistic about this, there, there's plenty of uh, boxes out there. And also don't forget there is retail. So there is retail available as well. So you can, if you're looking for just the base and et cetera, you know, then there is retail available. However, I will share with you and we'll, uh, we'll look at a couple here just, and I'll, I'll read it out a little bit as we go. It's just so that we have that context. So like I said, I'm not going to fixate on the hockey part because I know not everybody collects hockey, but I want to use this example as kind of, well, we've got a hype rookie and this kind of a low, lower end product because it's not a high end product, uh, generally affordable. If you do have retail options. So I'll share a couple of these with you guys. And so I've got it here on old eBay and I'm showing uh, completed auctions and I'll, I can pull up Terra peak, but I think a lot of these don't look like they're too far out of wax. So some of them, so the first one here is actually the base Connor Medard marquee rookie, uh, very similar to that, but this is the base version. So 8357 us which right there is a good chunk of a box. That's not half bad. That'd be no, a great pull. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And then the marquee right. rookie red, obviously a, low, a you know, a slightly tougher version, $314. The reds yeah. are, um, the red borders are basically one per box. Yeah. So obviously you're taking that into account plus the number of rookies in the base checklist. So it's still a pretty one tough in pull. 60, it's basically one in 60 boxes. If you didn't get a yeah. duplicate that had Bernard. So here's your rookie retro, 120 bucks, uh, a premier. Like I said, they do have a fair number of Bedard cards. So do, so we have to kind of bear that in mind. Blue border, 118. Here's another one for about 79, another one for 89. So like we're hovering. The point is though, at the moment, and key to this entire discussion, 
these prices will go down as more options become available on the marketplace. And as people open retail and as more of them get into the market, you know, more cards flood the market, there's going to, you know, the price will come down naturally. But I will say just in the first week of release, Brandon, if you're getting 70, 80 bucks, you, you pay a hundred and change for a box, 70, 80 bucks. If you happen to pull one, that's most of your box price back. That's not half mm -hmm. bad. That's a decent, and plus you get to keep all the rest of the card. By the way, there are other rookies in there that, that may be of interest to you, potentially, uh, as well, a collector I mean, of various teams. I think the cool thing with hockey, too, is, uh, you know, there's there's good inserts and stuff, and you could hit other players that are popular. It's, you know, it, it feels like sometimes hockey isn't rookie or bust. You know, there's there's other guys that you can hit or collect or whatever. Um, it it it's a decent price on the box, like towards the box. But I'm kind of surprised. I I didn't know that Opeachy, um, that they had aligned the odds and hitting like that, where it's you know essentially one high number uh, per pack kind of like how they do the metal universe thing. So as a set builder, yes, that can be very difficult to complete that set. You're kind of looking I like the old school days of, of the high numbers being short printed. That was, I believe, a lot of the thought process in the design configuration of the checklist. The thought process was this was more of a set builder. This is more of a traditionalist set builder set. It's It's more of that old school... Like, it's not like super short printed. They didn't try to make it like, oh my God, you can't get these last cards. However, they said like, look, man, you're pretty much going to have to, you're not going to build the, the set out of boxes. You can right. buy some boxes to take, you know, to fill in a lot of the chunks, but then you're, you're going to need to search for some singles, you know, trade, move some cards, do whatever you got to do and, and fill in those gaps and scratch off those numbers on the checklist if you want to go old school on it. And I think that's the thought process behind that set. But it does mean that the individual card, like the Bedard, um, can still hold some value. Like I said, I expect the price to come down. There will be more of these available. And then other, the, I think what will really move the price back down, but even still, it's a very strong price to start off with. I think what's going to move the price back down is when we get into some of the other products coming down the pipeline. There'll be some higher-end products that'll come in that'll start siphoning those dollars. Right now, they're just taking what they can get. I think that's the key to what's going on right now. It gives a good baseline because... You know, nothing against Opeachy, but it's probably borderline your low, you know, your lower tier product. So you're kind of getting a first look at what the Bedard market's going to do for future releases there. So, yeah, it's between that and uh, MVP. MVP is kind of the other product that's kind of on that lower end. Uh, there will definitely be some other ones that come up, but I just wanted to lay it out there some thoughts. Um, anything else we want to touch on in relation to that one? There needs to, I like the, the direction it's going in. Uh, there needs to be Bedard rookies that Joe average collector can afford. Not everybody can, can spend a thousand dollars, $2,000, 3000. I mean, the can't imagine what his RPA is going to be. Right. I mean, it's going to just be, <laughs> so, it, it, but people should, there needs to be products out there. And there needs to be actual rookie cards of players that Joe Average or Joe Average's kid can afford. And it looks as if that's, you know, that's happening. 
that's good. Does upper deck? Uh, never mind. Never mind. I, I I think I have the answer without even asking the question. It just hit me when I was about to spit it out, and I would look like an idiot. So scratch that. Okay. <laughs> it has been officially. Stricken. I'm not going to do an Eric statement. Stricken from the record. It has been stricken from the record. Very good. So I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Uh, there's some things that we can definitely talk about in some future episodes, but I want to basically leave the discussion at this. Uh, definitely, if you're interested, check it out. I think the price on price point on it is reasonable for what it is. Uh, if you're chasing, just be aware that you're not going to get one per box. Just be aware that it's going to be a little bit of a tougher pull. It is more of a set builder set in kind of an old school style. So just bear that in mind. And as always, you know, not investment advice, just be aware, like, if you really want to maximize and get exactly what you're looking for, buying the single is probably your best bet. Um, you can still get it for less than the price of a box. So if you just want the single, just buy the single. Or wait a little bit. And then as some of the retail comes in and people will crack that open and pull some more of them, the price will come down. So just a little patience will probably uh, serve you well if that's your desire. So um, just something to think about. Mm -hmm. Since we were into the hockeys here for a moment, uh, there mm -hmm. was something I wanted to bring up because we haven't really talked hockey. And we're, uh, nope, not that. Um, has anybody noticed Ovi got a little bit of a uh, little, little spurt going on? Um, yeah, he's got five here. goals in the last few games. Uh, I think one or two. Yeah, he's of on them, a five game goal streak. Yeah. One or two of them might be empty netters, but, um, you know, sometimes you need those to kind of, kind of spark it, you know? So yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's, you haven't heard much about him this season. He's so close to Gretzky, but. You know, this is why this record is so difficult because you have to play for so long. And like anything in life, as we get older, we start slowing down. Things become more difficult. It's not as easy. Well, and, you know, it, his if, team isn't nothing like he's had either in the past. And him and Backstrom were like two peas in a pod, and Backstrom's gone. And, yeah, but you yeah, can't. It was just a lot of change used, for him. He used to just sprint all over the place and slam. I mean, just throw people into the fifth row. I mean, he could do it, it all. And now, basically, he's just gliding around, getting in his his spot and waiting for someone to pass him on the puck. And I did. You're not going to score, you know, fifty something goals a season by doing that. I did notice since the new calendar year, so since the first of this year, uh, he has scored a point in every game but two. And then, like I said, he's been on that five-game goal streak. So it looks like maybe here on the back half of the season, he's he's gotten a little little revitalization. Be interesting to see how it plays itself out. But good to see him back, uh, actually at least scoring a bit. Yeah, if he's if he's not hurt. And, you know, we never really know if a play is hurt or not. You know, they don't, you know, unless it's major, they, they're going to try covering things up. So if he's not hurt, you got to wonder, is he going to stick around long enough to break this record? And, you know, because if he's only going to score 12 goals a year, he's going to have, he's going to be playing for another five years. So I think two things uh, to bear in mind, I'll just kind of leave this thought. Number one, uh, he has expressed that he really does want to break this record. But one factor, and I read an article a couple of months ago uh, when he was in the midst of really his heavy struggles, because somebody was actually doing analysis and they were actually looking at what was going on with the games as he was playing. And one of the things they encountered was not necessarily a change in his game. What they were finding, though, 
was that he was shooting a little bit less than normal, but not like way crazy less. He is a high volume shooter though. That is his game. But just something to bear in mind, shooting percentage is useful because it tells you out of the shots you're taking quality shots, you know, because if you've got a higher shooting percentage, it means you're probably taking quality shots and some of them are and they're going in. So that's kind of an important factor. Last season, he scored 42 goals, which is still very good. Oh, he had almost 300 shots. He had 294 shots. His shooting percentage was 14.3%. The year before that, it was 15%. The year before that, it was 13.2%. He always hovers somewhere in that 12, 13, 14, 15%. This year, his shooting percentage is 7.8%. he has taken 167 shots. So what the person was finding when they were doing the analysis is they were finding, like, he's still taking shots. They're just not going in. Like it's it sometimes it's a little bit of bad luck, and sometimes it takes like a couple bouncing. Like last night, um, the goal that went in was him taking a shot. He was actually actually trying to do a little bit of a pass, and it actually bounced off the skate of the defender. And sometimes it just takes a couple of lucky bounces in right. what now he was putting it on net, still putting it in the direction of the net. So right. sometimes you put it on net, good things happen. In that sure. situation, it was that he was trying to do something else. But it bounced off the skate of the defender, went in, and it was like, well, I'll take it. It's a goal, it's a goal. Like, but he put it towards the net. The point is he put it in a place where something could happen. Otherwise, maybe a rebound. If it hadn't been that, it could have been a rebound and he gets an assist. But the point is you're generating offense by actually putting it towards the net. But right now, think about that. 7.8% would be by about 3% his lowest shooting, uh, his basically shows shooting percentage of his entire career ever. Yeah, he has never had less luck getting the puck in. So all he would have to do is revert to the mean. Even if all he did was get back up to 10% shooting percentage, which is still below his normal, even below last season. Right now, shooting percentage is almost half of last season. He could have taken the same amount of shots and twice as many would have gone in. And next year it will be worse. That's how age happens. That's the way it is. Well, it, it, age is usually Eric with these guys is that they're shooting is that their amount of shots go down. And the thing is his amount of shots for the amount of games he's played is very close to his norm. That was the person's point. They go, if he's just stopped shooting or he's generally no longer shooting, then yes, I grant you. But the, the, the problem that he's having is that he's shooting. It's just not getting the bounces that he would usually get. There's a little bit of luck involved in it. When Gretzky was uh, at the tail end of his career, he wasn't shooting. No. Well, and the teammate thing, you know, I, and I know that doesn't play into all of it, but you have to think having good teammates, chemistry, all of that guys you've been playing with is going to help your shots as well. It's also having better teammates out there is going to defer the defense of the goalie away from just focusing on you. If you have Ovechkin and then a mm -hmm. bunch of guys that aren't that great, who are they going to yeah. focus on? Yes, you know, <laughs> but, so, but I'm, what I'm doing is so to give a comparison to make it as apples to apples as I can just to help out and make it as yeah. apples to apples. Gretzky's last year, he was 38 years old. Oveshkin is 38 years old right now. So they're the same age. Okay. As Gretzky's last season. Oveshkin's 38. Yeah. Oveshkin's 38. So I'm doing apples to apples as best I can here. In Gretzky's last season, he played 70 games and he took 132 shots. Oveshkin has played 48 games and he's already taken 167. So he will be up above 200 shots. So really, like my point from earlier, is I said, if he gets back to more of his normal shooting percent, because like I said, last season when he was 37, a whole season, he took almost 300 shots and, and his shooting percentage was 14%. That, that's a big difference. 14% of your shots go in, then you take more shots, more goals go in. 
it's it's you know yeah, it's, I mean, it's basic math. Season, I don't think he had ten goals, but I still had, yeah, yeah, you know, so he had nine goals, but I think he still had, you know, sixty something assists or whatever. Or, you know, I don't know. He has still had yeah. decent assist numbers. He had sixty two points. He had sixty two points. Yeah. So so the di- but the difference is compared to earlier in his career when Gretzky was in his prime. When Gretzky was in his prime. He was taking 370 shots a year, 348 shots, 354. Like there's a big difference when you're a big volume shooter and you're taking a ton of shots. Now for him, his shooting percentages were also crazy. So he was taking a ton of shots and a ton of them were going in. So, but when you're doing both, but when you suddenly stop taking shots, that's when you start running into, you know, if you're a goal scorer and you stop taking shots, all of a sudden they stop going in. It all makes sense. It's so there is so for Ovechkin, the goal, the for Ovechkin, a guy like Ovechkin for his game, he needs to keep shooting, even if things aren't working, you keep shooting because all he has to do is revert back to his norm, a couple of bounces go his way, and before you know it, he's at 25 goals in what was a lost season. That's all it would take for him, it's just getting some of them to bounce his way, but he's got to keep shooting. If he doesn't keep shooting, it's not going to go in. I guarantee you will not get a goal if you do not take a shot. Well, as a Kresge fan, I'm hoping he keeps the record. So I'm not rooting for Ovechkin. And since I do not, I was just looking. There's only been I don't four seasons in. There's only been four seasons in Ovechkin's entire career that he had more assists than goals. And this year, he's got ten more assists than goals. Yeah, like it hasn't been like it. The team has been bad, and he's struggled. And like I said, the shots haven't been going in for him. But I, look, I made I made the comp before. I'm going to stand by my comp. My comp remains the same. The guy that Ovechkin should be studying under the learning tree, the goat of goats, not Ziggy Palti, the, the other one for, for the, for this particular thing, for this particular Jason situation. Robertson? No, absolutely not. He's a point of game player. Average. But the, the key, if he wants to follow under the learning tree of the guy, the patron saint of, of, of the bullshit Brett goal Hall. late in his career, Brett Hall, Hall the master. Of literally, I am going to stand here until someone passes me the puck and I will score. That is what Ovechkin does. He didn't use but, to- oh, no Hall was the Hall was the Ovechkin is but a young Padawan in this game. Yeah. Brett Hall was the Jedi slash Emperor Palpatine, whatever you want. He is the master because age 38. I gave you age 38 for Gretzky. I gave you age 38 for Ovechkin. The master, the Emperor Palpatine. H38, Brett Hall, 37 goals. How did he do it? He shot 262 shots and had a 14.1 shooting percentage, which is right in line with what I said about Ovechkin. 37 goals at age 38. How do you do that? You take a, t- a crap ton of shots. The shooters have to take shots. That's the only way. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Well, Ovechkin is one of those guys. He's got to take shots. And he should match. Ovechkin does do what you're talking about, Eric, but no, no, no. Brett Hall literally is like, I am literally going to, I, I am parked here. I know. I, I was in here, I was in here when the Zamboni was doing its work before the game. I was already here. Yeah. I know. I'm waiting for the game to start, guys. I'm ready for you. I know. Yeah. But 37 goals at age 38, Eric. That's how you do it. That's the master. So Where was he playing? Ovechkin needs to go that? find Brett Hall and learn under the learning tree because that's how was it's he done. In Detroit at 38. Uh, so 38, yes, he was in Detroit and he had 76 points, by the way, 37 goals. And he actually had 39 assists. Yeah. So it was a good season and a good age 38 season, 37 goals. That's strong. That's, that's strong. Really yeah. 
that that is the kind of that's the kind of game that you play later in your career if you want to still be putting up the goals that's how you got to do it so that's the master at work no, Timu no, no. was also really good late in his career, uh, goal scoring wise. He had a little renaissance there late in his career. He was another guy who was uh, in that same category. So just something to bear in mind. Speaking it can be done. What's what that? What the heck has happened? I said, speaking of renaissance, what happened to the Renaissance? Uh, I, I think the struggle is real for a lot of the Dallas Stars, man. <laughs> the the Renaissance is terrible winning. right now. Uh, Robertson's they're a point of game player, Avraj. It ain't good. I mean, they're they're tied for third in the league. I mean, they're having a good season as a team. It's just the stat the stat sheets just aren't glorious. I, it's weird. That's a good team then. If it's everything's getting if you have that many wins and you don't have you know one or two guys carrying all the points, that means it's being spread around and you get a strong team. Yeah, I yeah, think they're... Sagan has actually been playing well. Sagan is someone who has been uh, having a decent season. I want to say Pavalski. Sagan for the sure. The difference between uh, Matt Duchesne's done pretty good too. Yeah. Uh, the difference between Boston and Dallas right now is Boston has uh, three more points, I think, in overtime. Because no. Dallas has – they. Boston's 32-11-9. Dallas is 32-14-6. I'm not so, getting caught up on, on the Bruins' regular season uh, points. I don't care. No, I'm oh, just, come on. Like, don't you want to get excited about the Bruins' yeah. regular season? Just getting the playoffs. I don't care. No, I'm just like, you know, saying they're se- Bruins are second in the league right now. Dallas is only behind them with the difference in overtime games. So I actually think overall, though, I will say jokes aside – I do believe that this year, I, I I feel like, especially compared to last season, uh, scoring feels like it's way down. Like there were a bunch of guys that were like putting up ridiculous numbers. They're still good. Like if you go to the top of the league, uh, Kucherov is 89 points in 52 games. That's pretty good. But like last year was like, you know, you had, you mean you had McDavid with 150 point season. Like I, nobody is within even striking distance of anything resembling that this year. Yeah. Uh, Pasolak had 61 goals. You know, yeah, and like even still, thirty-three goals this season. Like it's not like it's terrible. Like hardly, it's decent. But nobody is really lighting the world on fire, and you can see that Austin Matthews right now is leading with forty-two goals on a per-game basis. His goal scoring is tremendous. Yeah, forty-two goals in forty-nine games. Pretty good, pretty good. But yeah, points-wise, uh, I, it feels like scoring has been down quite a bit this season. But uh, but kind of playing to your point, Brandon, is like, yeah, I have to go ways down. Like I said, Robertson and those guys were were near the top of scoring. This year, I got to go a ways down before I find uh, Robertson. He's solidly in 26th. Yeah. Like, the whole team, even Rupe Hintz is below a point per game right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's got 22 goals, but like Jamie Benn was lighting it up last year. Pavelski obviously was doing his thing. I think he's got 19 goals. Yeah. Um, Sagan uh, and him both have 19. So they're both just on the cusp of 20, which is good. By the way, it's solid. It's a good solid season like, for both it, guys. It seems like it's a lot more team play this year, which could be a good thing. I mean, yeah, for, for the playoffs, I would rather have that. I'd rather because then yeah. you can't really key in on one specific guy. If you're getting scoring by committee, as long as they can keep that going consistently, I would be okay with that. Like, 
you, you can win that way if uh, if that's the if because then you can't isolate one player. It might actually work better for Robertson because he's not playing so hot that they're going to specifically target him. <laughs> they right. spread around a little bit, so there might be a little more room and for him to operate. It feels like they have more depth on the lines than just like maybe you know one strong line, one okay line, and then the rest of them are just out there to eat up ice time. So looks like they're a little bit more balanced this year. Mm. Indeed, indeed. But yeah, we'll have a chance. I think we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll touch on a little bit of hockey here as we get into the the rest of the season. Uh, you know, uh, Eric Eric is insisting. Like uh, we're resisting so far, and we're getting close to pitchers and catchers. And Eric was getting real excited. He was just, he was making demands before we even started recording. It was ridiculous. Like he just all he wanted to talk about was pitchers and catchers and the '86 Red Sox, like obsessively. It's a little concerning. A little bit weird, but we'll Cal get past that. Waldy can suck it. We'll get past that. You know, we'll move <laughs> on. So that'll be another episode. Uh, that was uh, episode 60 of the BIC podcast. And uh, a lot, a little bit of a mixed bash of different things. But hold on before we continue. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. There we go. You wait until 100. Oh, man. You don't even know. It's going to be sensational. But uh, yes, we will be back with uh, with another episode here forthcoming next week. Uh, more videos coming up on the channel, live streams on Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern time, where we are at least 5% less mature. Thank you to AMG Collectibles, amgcollectibles.ca, AMG Collectibles YouTube channel. Links in the description. You can also check out links in the description to the Hockey Cards Gong Show Instagram post that I referenced with the Connor Bedard card, and also the article related to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and also the San Francisco 49ers and the little piece regarding, uh, unfortunately, the lack of preparation for them. Good fun Super Bowl, uh, fun end to the, uh, to the NFL season, uh, and we'll look forward to a little bit of hockey now, a little bit of baseball, some other things going on. While we wait for the next set of things, it'll be draft time before you know it, and we'll be moving on to some other things, and we'll start getting into some playoffs soon. And then we'll get playoff predictions from Eric. Where all of you can fade all of his playoff predictions. Listen, y'all felt like you made money during the NFL playoffs. Listen, some people may have wagered on Bougie Eric, you know, halftime predictions. If you faded Eric at the right times, you would have made a mint. If you would have faded Eric in last year's playoffs, he was perfect. The whole playoffs. He was, and by that, I mean flawed, not flawless, flawed, over, swing and a miss. Pick is like just pick the other side, whatever it is. Maybe maybe this time, Eric, you could really commit to the bid if uh, if for whatever reason the Bruins thing doesn't work out for you, you could commit to the bid and like get more swag. Which team this year? I don't want to talk. Oh, we, about got, we got to, we got to figure out what the matchups are. You know, we got to go one. We got to go one round at a time. Talk we, last year. Can no. we do one thing? Can we do one thing? One thing. And I know that we're supposed to be mature on this episode. I, I, for the record, Brandon, everything I said while I did it with a smile on my face and a song in my heart, I stated merely facts. Did I exaggerate? One thing when it gets in in truth. We need the clips of Eric literally remodeling his setup so he could be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. You, you you should not make fun of people who have mental breakdowns. That's not that's not nice. Well, you didn't just have one. That was the problem. You, you had multiple. You had waves of them for weeks, literally for weeks. 
I mean, that took passion to literally figure out how to rearrange your entire setup <laughs> to be the fan of a different team that lost. <laughs> you shouldn't make fun of the mentally ill. I'm not, I, I was just saying, can we rewind? Like, memory, throwbacks, <laughs> you know? Uh, enjoy it, not make fun of, enjoy it. I'm going to make fun of it so hard. <laughs> All right, that's enough of this one. Episode 60, party, party horn sound effect, you already heard it a couple of times. Uh, we'll catch you in the next one.